Open your Bibles this morning to Mark's Gospel again, the fourth chapter. Before we get into the text, before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to go back and deal with something last week. Diane Pontone had a question last week out of the sermon, and she really, really, really wanted to raise her hand and ask the question. I might regret this, but it is okay to do that. If there is some question that you have while I'm preaching, okay, if it can wait until after the sermon, obviously that's better. <laughs> but if it's just something, just go ahead and ask it. I mean, I, I won't die. Uh, Diane's question was simply this. If you remember last week, we're told that, that Jesus' family came to take him home because they thought he was crazy. And Diane's question was very good. It's a great question. How in the world could Mary, who had the visit of the angel saying, this is going to be the Messiah, she knew of all people, she knew the story. And she knew of all people that she really, 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 really was a virgin. Okay? Maybe other people didn't believe this, but she did. So when the brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers of Jesus said, well, we got to go get him, he's nuts. Why didn't Mary just take and bop them on the back of the head and say, what is wrong with you? He's the Messiah. So the, the short answer is, we don't know how Mary fit into that. We're told that she was there. But because she was a woman, was she, quote, unquote, being submissive to the older brothers? Because Joseph at that point was gone. We don't know. We're not told that she didn't believe. But she was definitely there. When Jesus is on the cross, she's right there. So she definitely is a believer. But how she could be part of that experience, we don't know. But it's a great question Oh, with that. But I would tell you that the boys, Jesus' half-brothers, you got to know that they grew up hearing the story of Jesus' birth. Every year they'd make the, the birthday cake for Jesus and all this. And, oh, Barry, tell us the story of how the angels came. And all. They would have grown up with that. So how did they come to, to not believe? It will fit into this morning's sermon, believe it or not. We can have religious experiences that don't take root, that don't stick with us. And so John even tells us that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. But one of them did later. James, one of the books later in the New Testament, was written by Jesus' half-brother. So he did come to faith. All right, let's get into the text this morning. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. You follow along as I read out loud. Mark tells us that again Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and set it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And as he was teaching them many things in parables, in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now drop down to verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
And those are the ones along the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. We have been looking at what the coming of Jesus means. We know that Jesus came and, and was born in the world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But so what? What does it mean for Jesus to come in? He is preaching the gospel, but what is the gospel? How does this impact our lives? What is it supposed to do? That's what we've been looking at as we've been going through Mark's gospel. The parable that we just read is one of the most important teachings that Jesus ever gives. It's recorded in all the gospels. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke is not in John, but he has a different type gospel. But all the synoptic gospels have this parable. One preacher said that he could preach 20 sermons from this text alone and not fully expound everything that Jesus is telling us here. It's an important parable. Jesus loved to tell stories as he taught. Jesus would use parables. These parables are simply an earthly story to give spiritual truth. It's a way of taking spiritual truth and making it understandable. The problem is, these spiritual truths were often missed by unspiritual people. Verse 3, Jesus says, listen. Now what about you in your life? When do you tell people, listen, when you want them to pay attention? Because we do a lot of talking and we do a lot of half listening. But when somebody's serious, they say, listen. Jesus begins this parable with that challenge. Pay attention. Listen. Why? Because this is important. We don't want to miss what Jesus is saying here. So listen closely. Now this parable is usually referred to as the parable of the sower. But as we read through the text... The parable is really not about the sower. It's about the different soils, the different dirt that the seed gets on, it's put into. In this country, when we plant, we don't sow. We plow up the ground and we drop the seeds in and then we cover that over with dirt. In that part of the world, even today, they will broadcast Exceed and just throw it. Because their soil is different in that part of the world than what we have today. So what Jesus is telling us is a story about a man who went out and just started throwing seed. The story is not about the sower. It's not about the seed. It's about the different soil that the seed gets into. How do we know that? Because Jesus doesn't spend any time talking about the sower. He doesn't spend any time talking about the seed but he spends all of his time talking about the different types of soil. So that's where we know the emphasis of the story really is on. So quickly, let's review the different soils that he tells us about. Number one, he tells us about the soil that's packed down, that's on a path. The sower throws the seed and some of it lands on that packed down dirt. Well, what happens when you walk on dirt? It gets packed down. Have you ever been on a path before? I'm telling you, the grass is growing on both sides of it. There's nothing growing on this path. Because it is so hard, the seed could never get into that. And Jesus said, well, the birds come along, they see the seed, they pick up the seed and fly away. Well, nothing's going to grow 
from a seed that's not even there. Because the bird took off and ate it. That's the first type of soil. The second type of soil that Jesus refers to is rocky soil. This wasn't so much soil that had rocks in it. Rather, in that part of the world, they often have limestone that's just a little bit below the surface. So you have this rock underneath the surface and just a little bit of dirt on top of that limestone. And what happens? The seed hits that. It immediately springs up. But the roots can't go down deep enough to get water. They go down and they hit the rock. When the sun comes up, it hits the plant, but because it hasn't got any deep roots, it just withers up and dies. The third soil is the soil that's good in many ways, but there's weeds. The plant springs up and the weeds choke it out. It's got plenty of depth, but it can't get enough light. It can't grow and spread out because the weeds are choking it. So it dies as well. It's not productive. Finally, Jesus tells about the fourth type of soil. That is the good soil. It's not packed down. It's got depth to it. There aren't any weeds. So the seed goes in, boom, pops up. And it produces a great crop. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Those are the four types of soil. That's the story. There you have it. And the disciples were sitting there saying, Yeah. It is impossible to misunderstand what Jesus just said. Honestly, before you came in this morning, how many of you didn't know about the four types of soil? Anybody? How many of you said, oh, I didn't know that rocky soil couldn't grow? Right. We know this stuff. We're not even farmers. And we know this much. And so the disciples are thinking to themselves, this guy is a spiritual teacher. We got to believe he meant something more than just, hey, there's different types of soil that produces different kinds of crops. What is it? What is the spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to convey here through the story? And he says, only those who have ears to hear will understand it. Not the part that we just looked at, but what's the spiritual meaning? Even the disciples don't get it. And they pull Jesus aside and they said, okay, what gives? Okay, you're a carpenter. You're not even a farmer. Why are you telling us this story? What do you want us to get from this story? The lessons that we learn from this story are important for our own lives, but they're also important as we go out and we share the gospel, as we do evangelism, because the different types of soil here represent different kinds of people. The issue in this story is not the seed, but the soils. There's only one true gospel. There's only one seed that we sow. If we sow a different seed, then we're not sowing the gospel. The issue is not make sure you're sowing it right. The issue is what type of soil is that seed going to land on? And the key to understanding this parable is not difficult once you have the key. The key unlocks it. And what's the key? Just as there are different types of soil and different responses to a seed, there are different types of people and there's different responses to the gospel. So there's some truth that we can learn from this story. And then we're going to spend a few minutes. We're going to talk about how we apply it in our lives. Number one, the first truth that we learn from this story, we actually get from the first type of soil that's the packed down path that the birds come and steal the seed away. Number one, not everybody's going to accept the gospel. Bottom line, not everyone accepts the gospel. Verse 15, these are the ones along the path when the word is sown, when they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
Listen, the gospel is good news for everyone. But not everyone will accept it. Some people are so hard. Have you ever talked to people like that? You can tell they're not listening. They just cross their arms. The words just doesn't seem like it's just bouncing off of them. Because they are so anti-God. They're anti-spiritual. The seed doesn't get in at all. Jesus interprets this though and he said Satan comes and steals that away. Let me tell you something. When you start sharing your faith, you better know Satan is right there trying to stop it. When we are out there trying to tell people about Jesus, invite them to commit their life to Christ, Satan is right there trying to stop that from happening. There are some people that just outright reject the gospel right off the bat. Second, some people have a shallow faith that burns out. Look at verse 16. These are the ones on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, and they only endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the type of person who will have an emotional response to the gospel right away. They will receive, they hang on, oh, this is great. And they have joy, they have excitement, they really, this is cool. They're completely gung-ho about this new stuff, this new faith that they have. You'll see this. People will come into the church, they're all excited to be part of the church, and they're in involved in everything they want to be involved in this will be a man who come in and, and ask can i come to the women's meetings no that's for women they want to be involved in everything every time we have a sign up to do this or that they're there their names are right at the top they want to do it but then something happens they start to pull back Sometimes slowly, sometimes all of a sudden. We see them less and less in church. Their involvement in service to the Lord usually stops completely. That joy and excitement that they had at the first is gone. There's no enthusiasm about serving the Lord. What happened? Why the change? Jesus said it's because they had no deep root. And when trials and persecution come, they die out. Maybe they thought the gospel was going to fix everything in their life that was going wrong, and when that doesn't happen, they quit. You'll hear people say, well, I tried religion, but it didn't work for me. You ever hear that? When the challenges of life hit them and it doesn't work out the way they thought, then they burn up and they quit. Maybe their friends, their family starts giving them a hard time because of all the time they spend at church. Because of that persecution, they pull back. Whatever the reason, the results are clear. This new life in Christ that looks so promising comes to nothing. Understand, these people had an absolutely real experience. They felt something. Something happened and they got involved. And if you ask them, they will tell you that they really, really, really are a Christian. That's what they think. They just stopped following Jesus. But I'm a Christian. Number three. Some people have a faith that's choked out. Some people don't even, they just reject the gospel outright. Some people receive it with joy and then they, they burn up. Other people get it and they're choked out. 
verse 18. Jesus said, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. These are people who as well, they make a profession of faith. Oh, I believe the gospel. I believe in Jesus. They look good on the outside. Everything looks good at the beginning. But then they too start pulling back. Because they're busy with this or that. They're not necessarily doing bad things. Maybe they're chasing money. Jesus said, he refers to the cares of this world. The weeds that he's talking about here that choke out the faith vary from person to person. But the result is the same. The faith gets choked out. This new life in Christ, whatever it was, gets choked out. Because they have a higher priority. They have something that's more important to them than following Christ. Number four, Jesus tells us that there are some people who have a faith that's very productive. It takes root. Verse 20, those are the ones who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30 and 60 and 100 fold. This is soil that works like it's supposed to. The seed is planted and the seed springs up and it produces fruit. It does what the sower hopes. No sower goes out and says, well, I don't care what happens. No, this is what the sower wants. He wants seed that's going to produce a crop. So we have the, the earthly story. Then we see Jesus overlays the spiritual and says, now this is what I'm talking about. Now the question is, what's our takeaway? What are we, the people sitting in this room today, supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to learn that we are to apply to our lives? Let me give you a few things. Number one, do not ever Ask people to believe in Jesus. Did you hear me? The second and the third type soils, those that have shallow faith, those who have a faith that's choked out, they believe in Jesus. The word is received, but it comes to nothing. Jesus never went out and just said, hey, simply believe in me. Don't invite people to have a faith or a belief in Jesus that's shallow. That doesn't have any root. Why? Because Jesus didn't call for believers. He called for followers. People who are going to be disciples, who are going to leave their old life and follow him. What do we see in this text? Is that there are people who can have a superficial faith. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, why would we want to offer them superficial faith? That's already a problem that exists. We don't need to make it worse by encouraging people just to believe in Jesus as if that's all that matters. And then what happens is we have people that come into the church, they start believing in Jesus, and then they leave. Good luck getting them back. Well, I believe in Jesus. And they, they buy this idea that all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're saved. And they leave and we never see him again. If you ever talk to him, well, what happened? Well, I still believe in Jesus. I'm good to go. 
Don't offer people superficial faith. James tells us in his letter that even demons believe. Why would we offer people demonic faith as an option? I don't believe, you don't believe that demons are going to be in heaven, do you? So why offer them the option of believing in Jesus in some meaningless way that doesn't change their life? That's why we don't have an invitation at the end of every service. Because experience has taught us that people will say, hey, I want to do that. And they get caught up in the emotion of the moment. And they make a decision that's based on that emotion. But emotional decisions don't last once the emotion goes away. An immediate decision to follow Christ based on emotion would be like a couple that goes out on their very first date and they have such a wonderful time they run off to Vegas and get married. You look at them and say, what are you doing? It was one good date. That's great. But that's not enough to get married on. Guess what? That same logic is true when it comes to following Christ. Why would you want to make a lifetime commitment to Christ based on an emotional decision that you get caught up in the moment? Don't ever offer somebody just to believe in Jesus and they'll be saved. That's a lie. Number two. If you're trying to live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you are being deceived. Jesus teaches that in this passage. This parable gives us an incredibly serious warning. Look around this room right now. Some of us sitting here today are not really Christians. That's not me judging you. That's just a fact. Not everyone who's in the church is a true believer, a follower of Christ. Stick with me. Some of us that are here in this room today, six months or a year from now, will not be here. Not because we've moved to a different church and started fellowshipping with a different church. We just will have stopped following Christ altogether. This is a problem that we see regularly with guys in our pathway program. They come in, they start following Christ, they start doing the stuff, they attend church and all of that, and then when they leave the program, we never hear from them again. There's a very real possibility that some of us here today will be gone a year from now. This is a serious warning that Jesus gives. Not every person who commits to Christ verbally has a productive spiritual life. Because, Jesus in verse 19, this soil becomes unfruitful because it's choked out. In this story, in the second and third soils, there is growth. The seed does spring up, even more so in the third soil. But it doesn't matter because the weeds come in and choke it out and nothing comes from that plant. Look at your life. Other than the fact that you attend church on Sundays, what fruit is being produced by your life? If you believe that God has sown the seed of Christ in your life and you have received it, what fruit is there that's being produced because you're a Christian? You do understand that the whole principle that Jesus is teaching here is that God doesn't just sow the word in our lives so we can become good church attenders. At the... Close of the parable, the, the fourth soil, the good soil that produces 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. If you're here by yourself as a church attender, how is that multiplying the kingdom? 
How is the kingdom growing because of you? So the test is very simple. How do you see if something is being fruitful? You look at the fruit. And if a seed is sown in your life, if a seed, singular, is sown in your life, then what is God's intention? That your life would produce what? More seeds. When you plant corn, you get a stalk that comes up with ears of corn with lots of corn on it. When you plant a seed of wheat, it springs up and the head of wheat has lots of seeds, lots of grain on that. The seed that was sown is multiplied and produces more seeds. Many people have had a religious experience, but there's no fruit in their life. There's nothing to show for it except, oh, I believe in Jesus and I go to church. That's it. And there are many people who say they've had a commitment to Christ. They've said they've become Christians, but they get so busy doing worldly things, chasing after other things, that there's nothing going on in their life spiritually. Their spiritual life has been choked out by other things. And these weeds don't have to be bad things. We see people, they'll take a job, they'll start working seven days a week and we'll never see them again. Well, I gotta work. I gotta have a job. We do need to work. We ought to work. We ought to be able to take care of ourselves. But when that job becomes the most important thing in our life and everything else gets choked out, how can we convince ourselves that God's okay with that? That God sowed the seed of Christ in your life and it comes to nothing except you're a really good worker and you're making lots of money for you. And God says, well, that's cool. At least they're not going out to the bar on Saturday nights. No. You can, you're, you can have your spiritual life choked out by things that are not necessarily bad. So the job is not the problem. The problem is how you manage the job. Just like if you have a garden. Problem is, and I know lots of us are this way. We, we would like to have the garden. But it takes a lot of work. You know what you gotta do? Yeah, you gotta plow it up. You gotta plant the seeds. All that stuff. Yeah, but you gotta weed it. You gotta go through that thing every so often. You gotta pull the weeds because I don't want the weeds. Oh, that's fine. They'll be okay. No, they will choke out and make useless all the work that you did in planting that seed. And the same is true in our lives. We need to do some weeding. Our spiritual lives are being choked out by so many other things and we refuse to go through and weed things out and say, I can't do that anymore. I just don't have the time. If I'm going to have a productive spiritual life the way God wants me to have it, I've got to get rid of these weeds. Take Facebook, for example, social media. Lots of people have gotten caught up into that. Uh, understand, Facebook can be used for bad. You don't have to read it very long to see how people are using it for bad. It's, it can be just nasty. But you can just be having fun. And at the end of the day, you might realize, you know what? I spent more time on Facebook than I spent in my Bible. I spent more time doing social stuff with my friends on Facebook than I spent communicating with God and praying to Him. And I know people that will take a fast from Facebook and say, I guess I put that aside. Because it's choking out what God wants to do in my life. And I'm becoming spiritually unproductive because of all these weeds. Now pay attention, it's going to get serious now. The third thing we learned from this text today is that you can fall away. It is possible for a person to fall away. Now listen, falling away is not the same thing as losing your salvation. We're Baptists and one of our keystone beliefs is, is that once you're a Christian, you can never not be a Christian. Once God has made you his child, he'll never unadopt you and you'll stop being a child. That won't happen. It is impossible for a true Christian to lose his salvation. Impossible. But 
it is possible for somebody to think he's a Christian when he's not. Christians don't fall away. Notice I didn't say Christians shouldn't fall away. I said Christians don't. John deals with this in one of his letters. He refers to these people who have left the church and he said the very fact that they go out shows that they were never one of us. That they never really had a true commitment to Christ. A real Christian won't fall away. But someone who only thinks he's a Christian might. Some of us here today, I believe, will fall away. That's not being negative. That's not doom and gloom. That's the reality of the situation. Because that's one of the ways, primarily, that Satan works. He tries to convince people that they're saved when they're not. He gives people a false sense of security. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't go to church. I don't do all that religious stuff. But I am a Christian. And Satan convinces people that they can fall away from the body of Christ but still be a committed Christian. Do you want to know who the best example of this is that we're talking about in the Bible? The best example, bar none of falling away would be Judas. Did you hear me? Oh, preacher, uh-uh. I would never betray Jesus like that. Maybe not. But you do understand that Judas was a real follower of Christ. And he went out. There's nothing in the Bible that says, yeah, the other disciples went out preaching the gospel, but Judas didn't. He went out preaching the gospel with the other disciples. We're told that the disciples actually did miracles. There's nothing in the Bible that says, but Judas didn't. He was out preaching the gospel. He was out doing miracles. But then he got so caught up with the money And when he realized that he wasn't going to get rich with Jesus, he said, forget this. And he went and sold Jesus out. It is possible for a person to think he's saved and then fall away. This is one of the fundamental teachings of the book of Revelation. Many people, they want to read Revelation to find out what's going to happen. And they read all these pictures and all these stories of what's going to happen. You know what the biggest lesson of Revelation is? One of the biggest lessons in Revelation is don't fall away. He who overcomes, he who remains faithful to the end will be saved. Again and again and again, the book of Revelation affirms some people will fall away. Don't be one of those people. A faith that falls away is not a saving faith. Let me repeat that. A faith that falls away is not saving faith. And today in America, there are millions of people in this category. They used to be active in the church and now nothing. They went through a religious phase. And then they phased out the church stuff and they went on to another phase. But even though they phased the church stuff out in their heart, they really believe they're still Christians. I just don't follow Jesus anymore. They are convinced that they are going to go to heaven when they die. Because they had a religious experience and they were baptized. But there's absolutely no fruit from their life. None. That's why we don't rush to baptize people in this church. I know churches, if you walk the aisle on Sunday morning, they'll baptize you Sunday night. 
And some of them are honest enough, we want to get you while we can. We don't do that. We want to watch you for a while to see if what happened in your life is a genuine commitment to Christ and not an emotional decision that's going to come to nothing. We've actually seen people in our church who come to the service the very first time they've ever been here. Now walk the aisle at the end of the service. I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to join the church. They'll leave and we never see him again. Ever. Our very first service that we had here, 1989, we had a woman that did that. Never been here before. You know why? Because that was our first service. Weren't you paying attention? Okay. She walked the aisle. Said she wanted to commit her life to Christ. I never had a chance to talk to her again. I went to her door. I pounded on the door. I called her. She never darkened the door of this church again. Many people have religious experiences, but it comes to nothing. This is why the Bible tells us not to make people leaders before we check them out. We see those people that come in, they receive it with joy, they're here all the time, and you're like, well, let's make them the preacher. They've been here three weeks, they've been here three months, right? Yeah, but they're here all the time, they're all excited, they want to do... Yeah, but we got to let this thing shake out and see if it's real. Some of us here today are going to fall away. The time of testing will show... And folks, let's get real. We often wonder why God allows bad things to happen in our lives. I want you to understand, that's God coming up to the tree of your life and He's shaking it. Will you last? Will you stay true or not? We use the, the experience of the bad and say, well, God doesn't love me. God isn't working for me. No, Our faith is not about everything that's going to come out perfectly in this life. Our faith is in a God that we believe in even when it doesn't work out the way we want. We have an unshakable faith. That's why we need to be clear when we preach the gospel. We don't invite people to believe in Jesus. We invite them to commit their life to Christ from from then on. Think about it this way. What would have happened if when I proposed to Trish on Labor Day, if I said, listen, I'd like to marry you, you know, until I don't want to be married to you anymore. I really, really want to spend my life with you until I don't. Would she have jumped at that chance, at that opportunity? Oh, yeah, however long you want, that's cool. No, that's not happening. Many people make a commitment of their life, but it doesn't last very long. When we witness for Christ, we are calling people to commit to Christ for the rest of your life. Not to put this on and then take it off. The gospel isn't just about feeling good. It's about a difficult commitment to Christ and following Him. Number four, and I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to file away in the back of your mind. And I'm serious. I want you to etch it in the back of your mind. Ten years, twenty years, thirty years from now, whenever... If you ever find yourself disconnected from the church, not following Christ, but comfortably feeling like you're okay, I want you to remember, Pastor Art said, you are being deceived. There are many people today who came in and had an experience. They got all excited and they've drifted away, and they have nothing to do with Christ. And yet they're sitting at home this morning, perfectly content sitting at home. Their life is producing nothing for the kingdom. They never invite others to a commitment to Christ. They don't follow Him. They don't serve Him in any way. But they feel okay. 
File this away. If that's you, you're going to hell. And if you feel content, it's only because the deceiver has come in and you've bought his lie. The Bible is absolutely clear that if your faith doesn't get you to the end, it is not saving faith. Only those who overcome and last until the end will be saved. File that away. Because if you're one of those that drifts away, I want you to say, you know what? I drifted away. And according to God's word, I'm going to hell. And if you're okay with that, that's between you and God. But I don't want you sitting there at home watching a ball game on Sunday saying, I don't have to go to church because I'm okay. That's a lie. File that away and never forget it. Because when we become Christians, it's literally that. It's something you become. It's not something you do temporarily. It's who you are. And if you can lay your Christianity aside as if it's nothing, then you were not born again. No matter what you might think. Number five. This is an important truth from this, this passage. Take hope. Man, you look at this, the, the, the seed, you're like, well, the first one doesn't do anything. The birds just come and take it. The second one, it just grows up and burns up. The second one grows up and gets choked out. What's the point? Why share the gospel? It doesn't work. You ever get to feel like that? You share and share and share and nobody believes it. Nobody commits their life to Christ. Why bother? This passage gives us hope because sometimes it works. And if you're here today and you're a genuine follower of Christ, you've truly made a commitment to Him and you're following Him, you're an example of what we're talking about. It worked in you. And we share with people, not because we know whether it will work or not, we share because we're told to share and it might. We take hope. This gospel stuff does work. No, it's not going to be accepted by everyone, but it is going to be accepted by some. And when the gospel is received, it will produce great effect. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The prophet Isaiah said in the 55th chapter of Isaiah that just as the rain comes down and accomplishes what God wants it to do, it waters the earth. He said, so it is with God's word. That God's word will not return to him void. It will accomplish what He intends. That's what gives us the hope to keep on sowing. God will accomplish His purpose. The good news of the Gospel is that the Gospel leads to great abundance. The Gospel is not, oh, God can change you temporarily and you can go back to the same old life again. That's not good news. The seed that is sown in the life of a true believer produces fantastic results as more seeds are produced. But today, take a look at your life. Look in the mirror. Which soil best represents you? Yeah, yeah, I get it. We all want to believe we're good to go when it comes to God. Nobody walked in here today and said, oh yeah, I'm going to hell. We all are comfortably content where we are. We shouldn't be. Look in the mirror. Don't just assume that because you're here today that you're a Christian. Look in the mirror. Paul tells us that we are to examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith or not. The good news of the gospel is not about surface changes that don't last. Parents, look at your life. 
How are you modeling for your children? How are you modeling for your grandchildren? How many of us are modeling a faith that's slowly being choked out by worldly concerns? Are you one of those people that has sprouted up and looks really good at the beginning, but you're just going to fade away to nothing? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. Just a moment. No one looking around. If you were to die today, where would you go? Each one of us in this room is a type of soil. One of those four types is us. Which one is you? Look at your life. What fruit is being produced because you say you're a follower of Christ? What other people are becoming Christians because of you? When no one is coming to faith because of us, that ought to tell us something. Because the seed that God plants in us will bring other seeds in other people's lives as they come to faith through us. Father God, in this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go through this room in a solemn moment where we're each looking at ourselves. God, we don't want to leave here today being deceived and thinking everything is okay. God, we don't want to be one of those people that just burns out. God, some of us here today, most of us here today, have to admit at the very best we're the third soil that our faith is being choked out by other concerns. Help us to go through our lives and begin to weed out those things that are choking out our faith and keeping us from being productive in serving You. And God, I pray for that lost person here today, that person who's never committed his or her life to Jesus Christ. They, can, they can't point to a time in their life when I said, Jesus, I want to follow You. I want to live for You the rest of my life. God, I pray that before they leave here today, that they don't make an emotional decision, but they make a settled, firm commitment. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Christ before it's everlasting too late. And God, I pray that as we leave today, that You would help us to take this seed and plant it in the lives of those around us. We pray in Jesus' name.